90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Uh, I'm surviving week before classes. So, you know, I'm going to have to find some new banter because if we just keep doing this, it's just my life is this perpetual circle focused entirely on semesters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the academic calendar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, which I was mistaken of and I thought I had an extra week. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you know, I guess I know I'm really like secure in my job and, you know. Feel like I've I've made it and don't need to prepare anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I miss the first day of school by a week, so, but that's okay. Yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, going to go do some field work in the middle of nowhere, Arizona. Uh, that'll be wonderful. So. Uh, yeah, it's not a bad time to disconnect. Right uh, no, 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 exactly. Hey, kids, <laughs> welcome to school. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're in the middle of nowhere, Arizona, right now, right? <laughs> Well, sort of. I'm sitting on the fifth floor of a large hotel. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that's camping for you now, right? <laughs> hey, easy. <work. laughs> Had to get that in. <laughs> so I am at the American Meteorological Society meeting, which this year is in Phoenix. That's awesome. That's where um, the Geological Society meeting is later in the year. So I'm eager to get your um, offline opinion of all the places I need to go eat. <laughs> Uh, well, I will share here. If anybody's in Phoenix, Matt's Big Breakfast. That's got the seal of approval. <laughs> the AMS seal of approval? Uh, no. But as, as one of my coworkers said as we were leaving, can I get a big gulp of that gravy? <laughs> it said like a true Southerner. Yes. I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, so it's been a lot of fun. We've had, of course, lots of uh, you know gatherings of people I haven't seen in a while, uh, going out, getting meals, going to lots of interesting talks, and spending a lot of time working the booth as one does. Yep, mm-hmm. that is true. Um, I'm I haven't been to an AMS meeting in a long time, so I am very eager to hear what's going on in the in the world of meteorology that I don't get to go into anymore. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, first of all, it's a little bit of a strange meeting because there were between three and 4,000 people registered and about 700 to 1,000 of those aren't here because they're federal employees. Right. Yeah. That's just terrible because this is really important. Any of these meetings, these annual meetings are really important, not just to see your colleagues and eat at Matt's Big Breakfast, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, to get your research out there and get reinvigorated. Like, what a terrible thing to have happened for for these people who were supposed to be going to this meeting. It, it's true. And so many of the, uh, the meetings that were going to happen here, you know, a federal employee meeting with a university professor or a graduate student mm-hmm. or somebody like us that works closely with federally funded data sources, uh, those meetings aren't happening. And yeah. so it's going to end up and eventually there's going to be a lot more travel and more cost. Uh, right, yeah, exactly. To get that work done. And taxpayer costs since that's, you know, what what the federal employees are working on. So that's really, that is too bad, but I'm glad to see or hear that there were at least some things that were able to go forward, though. Yeah, so, I mean, there have been some 
some dances that have been done to fill in openings and sessions mm-hmm. uh, where feds are going to be presenting. So they've had some poster presentations, uh, discussion forums, things like that. A lot of people have stepped up to chair sessions uh, that needed chairs now. So it's it's overall gone pretty well. That's nice. That's good. Yeah. And uh, as we're recording this, tomorrow will be the last day. I'll actually be flying out tomorrow and home by the time this airs. Uh, but most of the meeting is behind us now, so I've seen some of the neat things. Okay. Well, hit me. Let's hear it. All right. So uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of presentations on all the cool applications of the new Lightning Mapper on the Gozar series of satellites. Ah, okay. So that's been quite interesting. If you want to know more about uh, that program in general, uh, we talked to Eric Bruning a while back, and he was also recently on the Embedded.fm podcast, mm-hmm. talking about his work as well. Uh, let's see. I, of course, have gone around and bugged all of the sensor manufacturers <laughs> that are here. <laughs> That's just your personal <laughs> your personal side <laughs> agenda, though, isn't it? <laughs> right. Uh, and lots of discussions of... You know, how much power does this pull? And, you know, what about in sleep? What about in wake? And then guessing what processor they're using. It's been fun. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, Did you see anything that was shocking and amazing for you? Uh, so one of the things that was surprising is even though the use of drones or UASs, unmanned aerial systems, in research is still somewhat sketchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Man, a lot of people are selling stuff for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. There so are two or three different companies that are marketing like ultrasonic wind instruments specifically made for drones. Like that's the whole booth. Okay. Uh, somewhat surprising. <laughs> it seems like a smallish market and one that might not totally be approved yet, but. <laughs> People are making money doing it, so that's great. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like the new, mm-hmm. the word drone, I feel it's definitely one of the buzzwords right yes. now. Yeah. So you're like, um, I don't know. I don't know how this works, but I'm going to write this into my grant and get some money for it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. And uh, let's see. There, there was a van. Somebody's selling now a totally equipped mobile research field van that's got power wired everywhere and an instrument mast on the front and an optional wind generator that you can install on the back like if you're going to set it in the middle of a field in kansas for two days what yeah you can what (laughs) so you can buy a ready-to-go van see now i would think that the market for that would be small (laughs) i I would too yeah Wow. It's a thing. Uh, I mean, of course, it's a thing doesn't mean they make money doing it, but it's a thing. That That's really surprising to me. Um, <laughs> having driven these things, like, in the course of my job before, um, that's really surprising because you would think that you wouldn't think. Like, in my experience, that's one of the fun things for the scientists to do is to build those themselves, right? Yeah, and I don't think this is targeted so much towards uh, mobile mesonet chasing type scenarios. Mm-hmm. It's really meant, at least from what I could tell, and I didn't talk to any company representatives, so you know, this is not an ad, this is not anything. <laughs> uh, 
it looked like to me the way it was constructed and the fact that there's you know a wind generator that you can install and in the rear hitch and all that it's really meant to be like parked Hmm. you know you you need a station here for a little bit days weeks maybe a month maybe two months something that you're not going to want to put a permanent station in uh that's sort of the impression i got from it yet that you can still drive around (laughs) well you don't have to do a full install and tear down yeah that's true your install is parking it and putting (laughs) sunshade in the window uh there was the reason i say it's probably not for chasing is it is not hardened in any way ah okay you know, there's no hail netting. The instrument pack on the pull-up front is one of those, like, 10-parameter all-in-one systems that is not hardened. Interesting. So it's so literally I, a mobile mesonet. Yes. <laughs> That's rude. Uh, hmm. it, it just doesn't seem like to me, and I, I may be wrong for what market they're shooting for, uh, but having significant chasing experience, it does not seem like something that would survive well. Right, yeah. You know, I chased in a T-top Camaro, though, so I'm just saying. Yeah, fair. (laughs) That's really, wow, that's really weird. Because I would think that that would be who you're targeting if you're going to try to sell those. Yeah. um, Hmm. Also, interestingly enough, man, everybody is making their own radio song now. Huh. Is this because of the proliferation of drones do you think or were there like balloon ones and everything else these are all balloon designed oh so but why arduinos is this why i don't know no i think everybody's trying to race to the bottom of the cost curve okay uh, because they want researchers to be able to get their own sounding system and be able to launch a bunch during field campaigns right yeah, that makes so sense. So there are some that, you know, okay, well, we're not as precise as an IMET or as a Vaisla, uh, but we're a lot cheaper. You can launch us with, you know, two party helium balloons instead of a big balloon. <laughs> uh, Here you go, kid. <laughs> Your yeah, very exactly. own radio's on. <laughs> and there would be kids that would be excited about that. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's pretty neat. I'm. And, oh, and there are some that are only designed for. Uh, they only measure a couple of, a uh, couple of things, very specifically, and they're only designed for low altitude. Like once they get above a few kilometers, you lose contact with them. Mm-hmm. They're designed for airports. To decide, oh. you know, okay, do we need to close? Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, automated sounding systems. Those are getting to be pretty popular. Several manufacturers of those, where you know you load up a bunch of raw materials. Radio sounds, balloons, get, make sure it's got plenty of gas. And then you set it, you know, launch a balloon every six hours and it'll do it for however many, you know, five, 10, 15, 20, however many slots it's got in its changer. What are undergrads going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> hmm. It would be nice to keep people from having to get up at 2 a.m. to go do a balloon launch. So Look, that's like a rite of passage. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> that's real interesting. Hmm. So that one makes sense. So what do these cost now then? I mean, there were some that were, you know, $150 range. Some wow. that were a little bit lower. Okay. So you really could just go out and get your own just for funsies. Yeah. Now, of course, the ground station side and all that's different depending on the company. So yeah. uh, 
but yeah, no, I think it's already pretty low cost and something that I, I'm seeing, at least in my mind, more supply than demand, but I could <laughs> be wrong yet again. <laughs> ah, okay, that's that's very interesting. It sounds like the um, the trade show area is hopping then. No? No, it's, uh, it's pretty busy. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different crowd than normal, of right. course. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been relatively busy down there. Uh, the posters have been pretty swamped as well. Uh, nice. I had a poster talking about how to build communities around open source software. Oh, cool. So that was good. Uh, I had lots of people come by to chat about that. Mm-hmm. And let's see, talks. So I went to a session that was chaired by one of my coworkers on low-cost instrumentation, so right up my alley. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why did you not have a talk in this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so one of the most interesting talks, and somebody I think would be a lot of fun to have on, was about so-called giant cloud condensation nuclei, or oh. GCCNs. Okay, so are these geological? I mean, these are bigger than dust. So they're 1 to 10 microns. Um, okay. In this case, specifically focusing on aerosolized sea salts. Oh, this blows my mind. The amount of bubbles in the ocean can change the number of clouds. This is mind-blowing to me. (laughs) Like, yeah, this is – it. yeah. Obviously, I'm speechless. Like, I get whenever I talk. About, whenever I talk about this in class, I get really excited because it's like bubbles in the ocean, big deal, right? Yeah, it actually is a big deal for climate, just because of the amount right. of salt that gets, just like you said, aerosolized and then becomes cloud condensation nuclei. I didn't realize you could get 10 micron salt CCNs though. Yeah. That's huge. <laughs> They're big. <laughs> That's real huge. I wonder if it's because the salt is really angular and can be held aloft easier. I, I'm not sure. Granted, hmm. these are pretty low altitudes, like hundreds of meters. Oh, oh um, okay. Okay. But still, it was, it was pretty interesting. And so one of the ways that they characterize these, at least previously, has been you get a plane – that's got what amounts to a tube sticking out the side. Mm-hmm. And you get a little rod that's got a clippy thing on the end. <laughs> and Science! <laughs> you, you put a glass slide on the end of the rod. Okay. And you stick it out the side of the plane, and you start a stopwatch. And after so long, you pull the glass slide back in. And when the salt hits the slide, it goes splat and kind of spreads out on it. And you put this under a microscope, count the number and size of the splats, and get a size distribution. Okay. That's science. <laughs> science. And it works great. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I can totally see that. The challenge is you have to have a plane with a tube inside. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like you could, you know, do this with a drone, right? Oh, even better. Huh. So drones are expensive to operate. Right. You have to have a licensed person doing it. Oh, over water, too. It's not. And, and it is over water. Mm-hmm. And to get good collision efic- efficiency, you want a pretty good wind speed. And you're also by the coast, so you're going to have high winds. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. This particular study is in Hawaii. Okay. So that's always fun. Rough. Yeah. Um, 
and they couldn't afford to go sample very often because they have to hire a plane. Mm-hmm. So now they're doing it with kites. <gasps> I was hoping you were going to say pigeons, but kites pretty cool too. <laughs> uh, and what I really liked about this, there's lots of fun details about it that I won't get into here, but uh, they had used Arduino and some other little things to make a system. So you don't want to have the glass slide exposed on the way up and on the way down because then you're right. integrating your profile, right? Right, yeah. So it's this little thing that they get their kite up to whatever altitude they want and they hit a button on the ground and the slide pops out of a case and gets exposed to the wind and then they hit a button and the slide pops back in they bring the kite back down. That's perfect. That's awesome. And they can have multiple ones of these along the string. Uh, they've got a little display on the ground that tells them the status of it, uh, you know, the mission elapsed time, that kind of thing. And it's all 3D printed and programmed with all open source stuff. Oh, God, think of the cost. Like, what is the percentage of cost reduction for this? <laughs> uh, well, she said that the total unit cost about $150 in materials. <laughs> Compared to all of that, well, most of that, plus an airplane. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. That's super cool. So that was great. Uh, there was one that was looking at some uh, some radar backscatter techniques and that was all opened up which I thought was awesome uh, let's see there was a lightning detection and met package uh, mm-hmm. that a professor from Texas A&M had put so it's a spherics detector which effectively you're listening to the popping of AM radio sounds okay yeah and electronically counting them mm-hmm. and he said he had a hunch and, you know, it looked like there was going to be a bad storm, so he called some friends and got somebody that let him put it in their uh, garage okay. to record. And his hunch turned out to be pretty good because a tornado went through their <gasps> property. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that's verification. So he got a pretty nice data set out of mm-hmm. that. You know, it's all low-cost uh, low together. Co- was it as low-cost as a salad bowl? Ah, so totally different type of detector. I'm just uh, saying. The cool thing about the spherics detection is that you don't get uh, polarity. Right, yeah, because you're just actually listening, right? So. Yeah, and you can, you can sort of get range, estimated range. Uh, but the range, so, you know, my salad bowl is a few kilometers right. at best. Uh, this can detect like 200 kilometers away. Gotcha. So you can watch the lightning as the storm goes through multiple cycles mm. oh, of maturity okay. go up and down. Right. It was pretty cool. Okay, because so I was just thinking, what the, what's the, you know, upside of doing this? But that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, so you, you get to watch the storm evolution from afar with one sensor. That's pretty neat. Uh, so that was a nice talk. Uh, that was by Tim Logan. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. And there was, well, there were some drone things in there using uh, GoPros with different spectral filters on them to uh, characterize hail damage to crops was one. Oh, really? How good, yeah. does, how good does that work? Uh, surprisingly good for GoPro Hero 4s with the IR filters removed. Wow, really? Okay. Yeah. Nice. That's nice. Man, that's got to cut down on time, too. Time and give a better 
estimate of damage as well. Oh, yeah. So that's good. Uh, so, I mean, out of the talks I went to, I'm biased towards those. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I went to some of the Python talks. Uh, some of them, a lot of them came from within our organization. I was going to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, you had to because they're the people that work next to you. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, let's see. So one that was not from somebody is SatPy, which is a pretty cool Python module coming out of the Space Science Center at uh, Wyoming or Wisconsin. Okay. And it's got some pretty nice features. So if you want to do any satellite data work, I definitely recommend checking out SatPy. Okay. Man, this um, is impressive, all the open source stuff that's happening, huh? Oh, I mean, the Python conference, subconference here, was over a day long. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really impressive, the uptake of open source software. That's awesome. And we taught as well. Oh, geez. On top of everything. So taught a day-long course on Python. Before the meeting started? Yeah, the day before. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I don't that know. I mean, a lot of people may not know that. That often happens um, at many of these meetings. So it's not just about going to show your research or have your students show their research or to meet other researchers. But often there's a day or two days even that is dedicated to all these sort of continuing learning opportunities as well. I know there's, you know, 20 to 50 different classes you can take before GSA. I assume AMS is very similar to that. Yeah. And there were actually, uh, there were at least three, I think more Python ones. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so they were over a couple days beforehand, but like there was one on machine learning. There was one on very basic Python. Like you know nothing about Python. Ours was sort of an intermediate of you need to know some things about Python and we're going to teach you meteorologically specific applications. That's awesome. That's really yeah. good. What was the constituency of your class? Mostly students or? Uh, this one, so we pitched this one as synoptic meteorology with Python. Uh, so we had mostly professors. Oh, okay. And they all said, you know, well, we see the writing on the wall for Jimpack. <laughs> or other things and we want to teach our class and all of our students want to learn python <laughs> so yeah. we came here to learn enough python so we can teach our class with it oh haven't we already had the gym pack funeral <laughs> no uh, it's never going away probably not sorry yeah. i didn't mean to rip off that band-aid <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> gym pack I mean, served us well for a very long time and it's not quite done yet yeah but we're getting there i understand I understand. I was analyzing data today with a program that we had installed on our Windows 3.1 machine in the lab, so I get it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but so that it was overall very successful. Uh, I was surprised by how engaged everyone was. You know, a lot of times in the afternoon, everybody, sometimes including the instructors even, <laughs> You've just had lunch, you know. And it's hard to get back into the swing of things. These students came back from lunch fired up and ready oh, to man. go. Oh, man. Wow. That's nice. Yeah. It was awesome. That's uh, really good. Yeah. And we were exhausted by the end of the day because they were, they were a great class and had lots of great questions and some pretty intense learners. Uh, everybody was just drained. Oh, man. I love it. That's always a good day teaching. I don't think people realize how exhausting teaching is. 
yeah when it when it's good if if you're talking to a wall (laughs) yeah yeah it it doesn't take that much out of you but it's also not any fun right Uh, exactly when when you've got a room of engaged learners Mm -hmm. i mean you feel like you're in a marathon at the end of the day yes exactly it's quite awesome that's cool well that's really good then i mean that's good too that professors are updating (laughs) yes Uh, (laughs) and surprisingly so you know they have to fill out uh, some some survey stuff we ask them to say uh, something they liked about the class and something they didn't like about the class Mm -hmm. and uh, almost all of the responses on the didn't like were didn't like that it wasn't two days <laughs> and you're like oh i can't handle this <laughs> yeah uh, so it was great uh that's and great. i really enjoyed that part that's uh, excellent of our before conference activities that's really good so overall it's been a very very interesting conference i didn't have not got to go to as many talks as i would like because Booth. You have to work. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> uh, see, students love it while you can when you don't have any obligations at an actual yes. conference. <laughs> you can just go do all the fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, and it's always great to see see folks that you haven't seen in a long time. Yep, that's great. Well, excellent. It sounds like this was um, as successful as it could be under the circumstances. I, I would say that, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long is the actual conference? Is it Sunday through Thursday or Monday? Monday through Thursday. Oh, okay. So Saturday and Sunday are teaching short course days. Okay. And then it ends Thursday. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, late afternoon. So I, I don't I don't leave until pretty late tomorrow night. Oh, okay. Excellent. Yeah. But luckily, um, just one flight, right? So maybe you'll make it back. It's direct, so I should should be fine. <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> but anyway, so the, yeah, I will probably have some more updates as uh, more things come out of it. You know, I've talked to lots of interesting people about what they're doing and trying to twist some arms to come on the show and tell us about their work. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I would love to uh, definitely talk to the cloud condensation people because I like to say cloud condensation nuclei a lot. <laughs> GCCNs. <laughs> yeah, those are great. I'm totally looking up stuff about that. but since I am gone I still don't have the uh, the bell but uh, I I have a substitute (gasps) so it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show fun paper Friday (laughs) that was adorable was that like tic tacs or something that was my keys oh (laughs) (laughs) oh that is awesome uh, yeah, I think I would be drawn and quartered if I rang a bell as late at night as we're recording right now. So <laughs> It's true. <laughs> uh, it's everything I can do to get the cat from not meowing at me. But <laughs> um, So I seriously don't know where this paper came from, but it's amazing. <laughs> I, I feel like you told me that you just found this as a tab on your computer so this has to be something that you accidentally found late one night exactly i i guess so (laughs) and i blocked it out or something gosh this does not sound very fun when you read the title which is the integration of gis remote sensing expert systems and adaptive co-creaking for environmental habitat modeling of the highland haggis using object-oriented fuzzy logic and neural network techniques (laughs) 
by Oleg McNoleg. <laughs> of the Brigadoon University of Longitudinal Learning, School of Holistic Information Technology in No Place Neverland. <laughs> uh, and we can't even give his um, author email address on the air because it's full of naughty words. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this paper is amazing. And this, so you may be thinking, this is just a random PDF on the internet. No, this was published in Computers yes. and Geosciences, which is a peer-reviewed journal I have published there. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, in after, 1996. After reading this, I went back and I'm like, where did I find this? And I see that, and I'm like, yeah, no, that's legit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this paper, I mean, I wish we could just read it. <laughs> I just yeah. out loud like it's so wonderful um so i've done a lot of work in scotland and i guess this is why the haggis drew me in um but this is not haggis the food but it is about the highland haggis which is the fictional animal that haggis comes from <laughs> and has <laughs> longer legs on the left or right side of it Right. <laughs> because it's only found in the Highlands of Scotland. And if you've been to the Highlands of Scotland, it's very hilly. <laughs> and so these animals have longer legs on one side because they're traversing these hills circularly in a either clockwise or counterclockwise direction based on which side is longer. <laughs> and some of them, sadly, while trying to find the right part of the slope on the hill that matches their particular leg angle uh, trip and roll down the hill <laughs> which can apparently be um, monitor be uh, geophysically um, seen in gravity modeling <laughs> <laughs> and they feed on native vegetation such as wet grass and wet heather <laughs> oh man um, as always <laughs> right the figures just keep getting more and more favorite <laughs> like, these are the the best figures ever but um so in the introduction it introduces this highland haggis some things about it um <laughs> oh, i'm sorry these are so great <laughs> and then is trying to attempt because the circles that they make around mountains would essentially be contour lines right and gis loves contour lines well, yeah, and so if they keep walking this, because they're going to walk this same path for their whole life, they found their place on the mountain, mm-hmm. there should be downtrodden paths from them. And since they're on the endangered list of the WWF, the Wild and Wacky Furball, <laughs> it says in the paper, uh, using GIS to find these flattened paths could help us get an estimate of how many Highland Haggis there are. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so the next... I can't, I can't even talk about it. It's so funny. Uh, so after the introduction, um, it, you know, you go into why you're doing this. Um, it says traditional fuzzy logic does not cope well with the image data used here because of the nonlinear distortion effect caused by scotch mist, a local <laughs> weather condition that has a direct but complex relationship with altitude. Asterix, or was it alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> beautiful just beautiful (laughs) i mean they go on to say that a new form of uncertainty calculus misty logic is introduced (laughs) 
which is what I right. felt about all of my calculus. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh. so they're, they're going to get uh, radar data, radar altimetry data, and satellite data and feeding GIS to look for these contours. And uh, <laughs> a comparison of satellite and radar images is given in figure one. <laughs> At which point you see a hand drawing of a satellite and a hand drawing of a radar dish. <laughs> I like to imagine these were made in Microsoft Paint, too, because it just makes it even better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they kind of look like it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Figure one caption, comparison of alternative images. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. <laughs> so they then go through some of the, the math of how they're going to do this. Uh, which we won't won't dwell on too much here, uh, but they also I love that they cite themselves Magnolia nineteen ninety five in here, uh, <laughs> and they develop this uh, hierarchical data structure that lets them store the two hundred gigabytes of data in less than six hundred and forty k, and it is called the polymorphic Euclidean adaptive region tree or pear tree. So great. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're looking at these highland haggis, right? And um, it says, so for example, ridges are extracted from the DEM, the digital elevation model, right? Hierarchically decomposed and inserted into the pear tree as a series of fragments, generally known as parts. So figure two, equally great, shows a part ridge in a pear tree. And they say this early prototype actually shows a pigeon with an aspect ratio of 4 by 3 and deftly edited tail. It is hoped that future versions will be completely generalizable to all birds beginning with the letter P. <laughs> it just it just keeps getting better. <laughs> because figures 3 and 4, so, you know, they go on. Where are we going to find this haggis? And it says, it's known that haggis can only survive in extremely wet conditions, requiring substantial rainfall at least 350 days a year. So they have a map of Scotland shown in figure three, in case you don't know what Scotland looks like. The resultant map of the same area after overlaying the rainfall constraint is shown in figure four. And it's the same map. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Because, yeah, Scotland's real wet. It's real terrible. I fell in a bog once. It was awful. <laughs> that's the title. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's real good. Um he goes into this math here that he says looks real impressive. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that's what people want. Um, <laughs> there's also, uh, where's this part about the appendix? Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So in the future work section, uh, yeah. uh, he says that with addition of qualitative spatial reasoning, see Appendix 1, we hope to apply this to further habitat models for the Yeti Loch Ness Monster and Australian Bunyip. So the appendix is GIS words and their trendiness. <laughs> and he's yes. ascribed these these random plus or minus scale for these trendiness of these words, which is the best. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically he says, you know, his his <laughs> he's going to get published by using these trendy words. So positive trendiness was like object-oriented approach or Krieging, and almost a, a point nine is qualitative spatial reasoning. <laughs> but the negative trendiness, which I thought you would enjoy quite well, is Fortran. 
Right. <laughs> With digital elevation model being a zero, which was correct. <laughs> yes. Um, I. So what did uh, they find when they did this? <laughs> so he says that despite all the sophisticated analyses applied, no haggis tracks were detected at all. <laughs> Clearly, the haggis is more endangered than was first thought. And so future work, they want to secure a large grant, as I mentioned, and generalize this to other uh, other fictional creatures. But uh, they say the fact that there's a high correlation between whiskey distilleries and known haggis sightings suggests some likely centers from which to base the fieldwork. <laughs> Namely, whiskey distilleries. <laughs> and I thought, so this is one of the few fun papers, I think, that has cited another fun paper. Yes! I was going to ask if you saw that. <laughs> that got me more excited. Well, okay, so I thought, are these references real? <laughs> and exactly. a, couple, a couple of them are, <laughs> but the third reference, the author is G-U-C Well and Sure I Do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so that one made me think, okay. And then I kept going. The Heckbert paper, which was ray tracing in Jello. <laughs> we totally did that fun paper. <laughs> We did. Uh-huh. He also, in one part, cites Paul Ringo, <laughs> George, uh-huh. and John, and he actually has real citations for those names. <laughs> and I enjoy, uh, so the paper of uh, McNoleg, 1995, <laughs> appears in the I Think I May Be Onto Something journal. And uh, one of the references for maps is the Ladybird Book of Understanding Maps. <laughs> that was real good, too. <laughs> Pages 18 through 20. <laughs> oh, this is so fantastic. <laughs> I was going to say, this is one of, the, uh, one of the high points for Fun Paper Friday. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I just, I was guffawing the whole time I was reading uh-huh. <laughs> it. was real good. I, I was reading this while sitting at the booth earlier today and getting lots of strange looks. Oh, that's what I was hoping. <laughs> yep. I randomly sent this to you, and I was like, this is it. This is our paper. <laughs> Please, God, read it in front of people. <laughs> well, rarely are you so definitive in your fun paper choice. I know. That's what I, I, I thought that would make you click on it faster. <laughs> and it wasn't even a listicle. Exactly. Man, I'm going to have to recreate whatever no sleep induced browsing I was doing to find this. Yes. <laughs> I, I will say, when I was on Elsevier's website to get it, they usually do a thing where if you download a PDF, they're like, you may also like these. Mm-hmm. And I got real excited. And one of them was about, <laughs> one of them was about beavers. <laughs> that were introduced in this no predator environment and how they still behaved like they were being hunted. <laughs> and while it wasn't really fun paper worthy, there were some really good quips in that too. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, it was pretty good. El Sevier. I'm impressed. <laughs> it's all I'm saying. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So this one was real good. You should totally go read it. So if you have done a GIS study of the Loch Ness Monster or, or any other f- 
fictional creature or like tell us about your haggis sighting we would love to hear it. Shannon, how can folks get a hold of us? Uh, please do not send your pictures of haggis to show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. Uh, we're on Twitter. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. Together we are at don'tpanicgeo. Um, you can come to the Slack chat room. Um, school starting, so I'll be hanging out in there more, I promise. We're on the Software Underground, the Don't Panic channel. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for helping make all these good haggis papers possible. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.